Can I welcome you back in after welcoming each other so beautifully? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dillis Jones. I'm part of the leadership here at Holy Trinity. I get the privilege of speaking to you today on this Mothering Sunday. Now, I do feel at the very beginning of this talk that I need to acknowledge that today's sermon is probably, it's probably not the normal message that you expect to hear on Mother's Day. We are in the season of Lent, and as a church family, we're working our way through the final words of Jesus on the cross. And we've already looked at his words that spoke to us about forgiveness. Last week, Scott spoke to us about Jesus welcoming us as, as part of his family and bringing us into a family and that we're encouraged to be a big family here. Um, and today's final words are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so I feel that the expectation for a sermon on Mother's Day is something kind of light and sweet and encouraging. My hope is today that this sermon will be encouraging, but it may be a little bit more gritty and real than it is light and sweet. Um, and to illustrate this, Ella, you might put up our first slide there. So today's sermon, let's just say, will be a lot like the bottom picture. Okay, we're going to be in the real, the real deal today, okay? It's not all about the beautiful picture at the top. It's about, yeah, there she is. Yeah, okay. So that's just to say what we're doing today, all right? Um, we want to be real and we want to be honest. Um, and all of Jesus' final words are very real and very honest. He, he doesn't try to hide his emotion or his pain. And I think during this season of Lent, we shouldn't try to hide from his emotion or his pain either. And I think as believers and just as humans, I think we long to focus on the joy of the resurrection and kind of bypass almost the anguish of the cross. But the knowledge of his pain and his suffering for us just cannot be separated from the knowledge of his love for us. They go hand in hand. And that is a really important part of our growth as followers of Jesus. Engaging in that crux of his love and his suffering is how our understanding of his character grows and our trust in him grows. And it's where we move, I believe, from a place of just belief into real experience of his power and his victory in our lives. And the piece of text that we're going to focus on today is very short. Um, but I think it's very descriptive and it's very moving. And let me read it for you. It's also up on the slide there. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think these few lines of scripture, they really capture the reality of the rescue of God's children. And this is the moment when Jesus, the Son of God, who is without any sin, is made sin for us and the wrath of God is satisfied. It says for three hours, the world went dark. There was no light. 
there's this sense of God withdrawing. And Jesus really experiences true desolation. But his moment of desolation is our moment of redemption. And that's the beautiful part of that moment on the cross. God turned all his goodness and kindness towards us in that moment. And now through our belief in Jesus and in our acknowledgement of him, having taken all of our sin on himself, we are justified by faith and we can never be separated from God. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, show just what Jesus went through in order to rescue us. And as Scott highlighted last week, these final words, they're coming from such a real and a physical place. Um, Jesus on the cross, he, he literally has to pull himself up on his hands to speak any words at all. It's such a physical thing. And this is really hard, again, I think, for us to focus on. But as Scott described it so eloquently last week, I felt myself really compelled to engage in that physicality of what Jesus went through in those moments because it adds even more weight and more understanding, I think, to all of these final words. And this is where, I guess, I want to learn from him in those moments of desolation, in our own pain and in times when God seems dis distant or we don't understand why our circumstances are so difficult. What do we do in those moments, in those times in our lives? Jesus, at his darkest moment, when he can't sense his heavenly Father, when all that goodness has been turned away from him and onto us, he cries out in a loud voice, it says. A loud cry. That must have come from such a primal place within him. It must have come from such a place of anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is actually the first line of Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And Jesus would have grown up memorizing those Psalms. So I guess I like to think that as he speaks out that first line, possibly he is reciting the whole thing within himself, inside. And this particular psalm is a lament that speaks very prophetically into the crucifixion. And this is what comes to mind for Jesus in that moment. Psalm 22, 15 to 18 says, My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing they cast lots. It pretty much describes 
the picture of the cross that's, that's actually spoken about in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And this, this is what comes out of Jesus' heart and out of his mouth in that moment. I'm sure he wasn't in a place of thinking, oh, I think I'll just quote a little bit of Psalm 22 now. That's what the people need to hear. That's not what was happening. This was coming from a very automatic and a natural place from his gut and from his heart in that moment. That's what he turned to. This was an authentic and an intentional lament. And this drew me to challenge myself again on what automatically comes out of my heart and my mouth when I'm in times of upset or when I'm in difficult circumstances, when God feels distant, when there are times of unanswered prayer and I'm in that kind of desert time between hope and reality. Do I turn to God first? Do I run to my friends? Do I numb out on Netflix? Do I try and blame somebody else or something else? And what really struck me as I sat with that was when I do call out to God first, my cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is maybe even coming from a different place than where Jesus' cry came from. Jesus is rooted in the certain knowledge that God is love, that God is sovereign, and that God is covenant-keeping. He believes that his Father can act, that his Father wants to act and will act. And his cry, even in that place of complete desolation, comes from a place of trust and a place of deep surrender to the will of his Father. These words come not from a place of confusion. They come from a place of certainty. And I think that's what I learned so much this week preparing this passage. When you read it first off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think Jesus is just, he doesn't know what's going on and where is God? He's in Psalm 22 and he knows. Yes, there's the separation and that awfulness of what's happening. It's reality. But he hasn't let go of who he knows his Lord and his Father to be. As believers, we also know those truths about God. But sometimes in the waiting and during our desert times when the gap between hope and reality widens, that trust can be shaken, it can be diluted, and despair and cynicism come in and fill that part of our hearts where faith once was. And so our cry can maybe come from a bitter place and not from a trusting place. And this is why our constant relationship with God is so vital. We must remain in Him in the good times and in the bad times so that what we know to be true about God is not shaken when we reach rock bottom and that our cry can continually come out of this place of trust. Learning to lament as part of our journey of faith is crucial because it means that we are living an engaged faith. Um, I've been going through this book by Paul E. Miller. It's called A Praying Life, um, and it has some wonderful insights into lamenting, and it has fueled a lot of what I've learned um, for this talk. 
And he says this, I just want to read this quote. About lamenting, he says, if you don't lament over the broken things in your world, then your heart shuts down. Your living, vital relationship with God dies a slow death because you open the door to unseen doubt and become quietly cynical. Cynicism moves you away from God. Laments push you into his presence. Cynicism moves you away from God, but laments push you into his presence. And I think that's something really important for us to remember. When we lament, reality and promise come together. They meet. Um, and thinking of Mother's Day and mothers in general, I think as mothers we actually deal a lot with lament from our children, most days actually. To give you some examples, you know, Mom, you said we'd have pizza for tea. Why are we having shepherd's pie? Mom, you promised you'd bring us to the zoo. Why didn't we go? And there's a favorite in our house at the moment, Ethan Jones. Mom, you promised we didn't have to go to Tesco's on the way home. No! Ethan hates supermarkets. I'm sorry, son. Reality and promise. Our current circumstance and our promise from God are played out at the same time, but actually, a lot of the time, it doesn't add up. And when we lament, we live in the past, the present, and the future at the same time. And quoting from this book again, Paul E. Miller, he says, a lament connects, connects God's past promise with my present chaos, hoping for a better future. And this is what we see with Jesus in this moment on the cross. He is fully alive to his situation, but he is also fully alive to God's love for him. And if Jesus prayed the Psalms in his darkest moments, we need to learn how to do that as well. And looking at the Psalms, it seems to me that a lament, it's almost like a pilgrimage of the heart. And every prayer is different, but seems to have this kind of similar beginning and a similar ending. It begins with a really honest outpouring of our pain and our angst and our upset and whatever is going on and upsetting us but it ends usually with a heart that has been on a pilgrimage to the place of, okay, not my will, but your will be done, God. But in the journey from beginning to end, we walk through why we are upset. We may suggest to God how he should probably act to fix our problem, because we know best, right? We then maybe begin to be reminded of our past blessings and the past provisions until we finally, hopefully, reach repentance and we come to that peaceful place of understanding God is love, God is sovereign, He knows what's best, and He will keep His promise. In time of desolation, we want our authentic and intentional cry to be lament. We want to be real in moments of disappointment and pain and suffering. We don't want to suppress those feelings. They're very real, but we need to bring all of that, all of our reality, and do that business before the Lord. And cry out, just like Jesus did. 
He understands our pain and our suffering. On the cross, he experienced my pain and your pain, and he made it his own. He won. It's Mother's Day. I'm allowed to be a bit emotional, right? <clears throat> he won our victory, not over suffering, but through suffering. And he showed us that it's not for nothing. And that there is a way. There is a way to live a flourishing life in the midst of the desert. And that way is with God and not apart from him. So guys, be oddly encouraged in this cry of Jesus's forsakenness. Be encouraged to be real with God, to trust that he sees all that you are going through and he longs to walk it out with you, not apart from you. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for what you modeled to us in those moments, in those darkest moments, as you gave your life for us and as you welcomed us into a place of righteousness through you and into your family. Father, I pray for all those hearts here this morning that are in a place of forsakenness, that have cries that need to come out, that need to come before you and I just pray, Father, for just a melting of people's hearts. I pray for a fresh revelation and understanding of who you are as our loving Heavenly Father, who, as we have sang earlier on, will never let us down, and you are good. And I pray, God, that it's in that place that we can come before you, that we can learn to be real before you that we can learn to invite you into every single situation in our lives, that we're not alone, that you are with us, that you've been through it all, and that you see us and you know us, and you long to walk it out with us every minute of every day. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We thank you that you are with us always, and that we are never forsaken because of you.